0: What's up, guys? I'm glad you're here. My name is Drake, and you're listening to the Double Click Podcast by Holy Hill Media. Today, I'm joined with serial entrepreneur and friend Daryl Lerner. You might have seen him as he's been featured in Forbes. Bloomberg, Business Wire, and also made an appearance on the Built to Sell podcast, all rightfully so, as he has a very successful track record. He co-founded Snap Interactive, which he grew to 100 million users and 100 million in revenue before exiting. Also, built another app, All Paws. All Paws was the app to help people match with the right uh, dog at a shelter that that fit their criteria. And this app also grew to millions of users before he eventually sold to PetSmart. Yes, the giant PetSmart and now today he's the co-founder of Saturday. It's a fast-growing venture-backed location-based social app, but that's not all he does. He's also a business advisor to startups. Um, He also coaches people on how to to, to optimize their digital and product growth strategies, personal brands, and for uh, business branding as well. So this conversation is amazing. I mean, Daryl and I have been friends now for, for some time, and he gives actionable, practical advice. It's not just hype. It's not just excitement. He gives practical, actionable advice to, to, to grow your business and to, and to, and to grow your personal brand. And, the conversation we discuss, what it's like, first of all, finding the ideas that are worth uh, putting money into, asking investors to get behind uh, that process of, 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 of gathering capital to start a business, as well as the process of scaling and exiting the acquisition process, specifically as it relates to All Paws and PetSmart buyout. This conversation is amazing. Uh, entrepreneurs and, and fans of tech startups alike, this one's for you guys. Hope you guys enjoy it. Brother, man, it's been a long time coming, man, Uh, from countless phone calls, impromptu, you picking up, being available for me as a friend, man, and just countless sessions on Zoom, uh, just giving me your wisdom and reading a ton of your content, man. I've been so blessed by our friendship, man. I've been so blessed by your wisdom, and I've been waiting for this day to interview you for some time coming. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for your kind words. It's always great to talk to you. And it is an honor and a privilege to finally do your podcast. Thank you, bro. highlight of my summer.
0: (laughs) Let's go. We've talked about it for a while, man. And so I'm I'm really excited because our conversations end up being so exciting. And I always leave refreshed and and motivated. And I'm excited for the listeners to finally experience that, man. Um, But I'm also excited to crack into your story a little bit more than we have before, too, man. So listen, I mean... Co, your your resume is huge, man. Your resume is huge; it's amazing. Co-founder of Snap Interactive, founder of All Pause, both with exits, and now you know you're involved in another project as well. You're doing consulting. You're blowing up on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm just like, I don't know how many hours you have in a day, man, but I'm trying to get on whatever. Not not enough. (laughs) Not not enough. enough. Always the answer.
1: You could see the bags under my (laughs) eyes forming.
0: Hey, you have some caffeine next to you, right? (laughs) I do. I do. Always comes prepared, and, and a few gray hairs. Coming in. <laughs> it's just uh, that, that's just part of the job, man. They just come naturally. Man, I gotta ask you, how did you get here? I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur. You, 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 you're a you're just a, a wealth of wisdom. And you know, if anybody follows you on Twitter or LinkedIn, they can tell like it just runs deep, and they can tell that you enjoy it. It's not just something you're just regurgitating. You actually care about it. Where where does this come from, man? Do you, did your your family entrepreneurial, or is this just are you an anomaly? What how, how did you become tarot learner today?
1: Thank you. Uh, I I like to think I'm born with it. You know, okay. I do come from an entrepreneurial family. My my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandfather he worked on Wall Street, but he did some very entrepreneurial things as well. My my brother Cliff is an entrepreneur. You know, he and I partnered together on a couple of businesses. So. I think it definitely runs in the family and i feel like i i always had the bug from from the time i was a kid i had you know i did the proverbial lemonade stand in the street i i had a a travel agency when i was a kid that basically consisted of like maybe booking an airplane flight for one of my mom's friends or something but yeah i've just Always been this way. Always had business ideas. Always wanted to work for myself. And um, you know, it's it's not easy, but I thrive on it, and it's incredibly gratifying when it works out. So, I, I think I was born with it.
0: That's amazing, man. I think a lot of people. I mean, everybody has a different story. And even if you come from an entrepreneurial family, I have a lot of friends who do, and they have no clue about business. It's like they it just completely skipped a generation or something, and so. I know that although even you know you might have the experiences, the memories, and maybe even in some of the genes, you still have to develop that. You have to find out yes. that thing that's in you that's unique and and that moves the needle, man. But you know, fast forward. I mean, featured in uh, Forbes, Bloomberg, Business Wire. You've been on the Build Itself podcast. I mean, the it, again, it runs deep. What what were the elements to get you there, man? And we're gonna crack this all open and really try to dissect and understand what makes you tick. But what was the motivation, man? Have you just been excited, uh, you know, from the beginning about building things or was it the ideas that kind of sparked the ambition in you?
1: It's interesting, you know, uh, obviously I'm, I'm deep into the startup world and have been for many years and there's a lot of people who are just builders and so passionate about their products. I've always kind of been more of a businessman first hmm. and you know I do enjoy I have ideas I do by creating them but I've always wanted to build businesses more than products I think uh you know I went to law school I never intended to practice. I actually started my first startup the la- my last semester of law school and kind of went straight into it from that point but I always looked at them really pretty much every product I've done as a business as much as anything else you know and, and to your earlier point i think you know it, there's no substitute for experience right you you only learn this stuff from experience i was talking to someone recently and we were talking about can you teach entrepreneurship and you can teach concepts but for example there's no way to teach the scenario where you get major press your app blows up you're getting thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of users all at once. Your servers can't handle it. The product goes down. Your programmers are trying to figure out how to get the site back up or the app back up. Your customers are screaming at you. Everything's failing. Like You can't learn that in a classroom. You can only learn it from experience. And from there, I think it's you know who you surround yourself with, who you're exposed to. And I think one of the hallmarks of the most successful entrepreneurs, really, and, and people in general in life that I know is an insatiable desire to learn. Mm. And for those who have that, they just pick things up like a sponge when they're around other successful people. And they're always trying to see how did somebody accomplish what they were trying to accomplish? How was the business built? What can they learn from it? They're reading, they're absorbing. I mean, in this day and age, there's, there's podcasts, there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn. There is so much incredible information out there That's available for free the information's out there if you want to learn but it's really you know i think the biggest way to learn is from experience just either being around a startup starting your own side project throwing yourself in and just learning how to swim
0: yeah i love that so i want to i want to follow up to that though man because that's that to me is you, you said two things that really stuck out to me and again it comes back down to cultivating that entrepreneurial muscle in you But you said surrounding yourself with people that you can aspire to be like, for one, and two, this insatiable desire to learn. Now, that's interesting because a lot of time you balance with entrepreneurialism, uh, just generally speaking, ego with the desire to build. But sometimes that curiosity is overshadowed by the ego. And to where people don't want to learn from people because they don't feel like they can learn from this person because they might be better than that person or they haven't achieved, you know, the standard of success that they think that, you know, they want to achieve. So then it kind of hinders them from actually growing. Uh, Have you ran into that one? And I guess a secondary question to that is the room for ego and entrepreneurialism.
1: Taking the second question first. Yes, I I think you have to have an incredible belief in yourself. Yeah. You know, I look at all pause and I feel like I practically will that thing to succeed. Mm. So, you know, you have to believe that you can accomplish what you want to accomplish no matter what. And you know, call it ego, call it strong belief in yourself, it's there. But at the same time, you have to be able to put that aside and not let it get in the way of your ultimate goals. Uh, you know, my my framework for growth, whether it's startups growing on social media or anything is test, learn, iterate, you know, we've talked about this, and it's really testing as much as possible. And you have to as part of that, you have to be willing to toss ideas that don't work. Mm. And, you know, everything I've done, particularly with All Paws with the dating company with Saturday, now, we will throw away features that don't work, you know, without giving it a second thought. Mm. And, I think the downfall of a lot of entrepreneurs especially first time founders is they think they have a great idea and they're going to get people to buy their product use their app no matter what at all costs because their idea is brilliant as opposed to more experienced entrepreneurs are able to put ego aside and say you know I have a general feeling of a direction I want to go or an idea or a problem I want to solve or a use case and they're going to test a lot of different things so I think the answer to your question is yes and yes. Entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. the good ones. I think you have to have an ego because if you don't and you can't go in and raise money, you can't hire employees. You have to be passionate and you have to have a strong belief in what you're doing. Otherwise no one else is going to believe in you. So I think you do have to have an ego, but you have to be able to put it aside and the good ones can. And, you know, we've talked about this on calls together The more you learn, the more you realize just how much you don't know. So that's a pretty big reality check, too, especially as you start to swim in bigger and bigger ponds and get around more and more successful people. You know, you realize that, hey, I'm not as smart as I thought I was because there's always people who are smarter. There are always people who are more successful. There's always people who know more and there's always more than I can learn. So that's a great way to keep your ego in check, too. Uh, especially, you know, if you have the right mindset for that.
0: That's so good, man. I think that was the most recent conversation we had on the phone. And you said, which it was super helpful, you know, it's these (laughs) consistent (laughs) existential crises as a business owner to say, what am I doing? Like, am I good enough for this? Is it all going to fail? The imposter syndrome comes in, you know, but, you know, one of the things that you said to me is, you know, and it might've been something you read somewhere, heard somewhere, but you said that, um, it, the the be, the good entrepreneurs will have some excellent efficient schedule and they'll 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 tell they'll tell you that's their key to success or some vitamin or alpha brain or whatever. But the best entrepreneurs are the ones who say, "What got me here was that I just never gave up." And yeah. when you say that you essentially willed all pause into existence, like I, we have to pivot to that at this point. I think it's a perfect transition. All pause. Give us. Now this is that's a journey as well. I want to say five years, correct?
1: Uh started it early 2013. It was acquired by PetSmart October 14th, 2016.
0: Okay. So even shorter time then. No, okay. who's counting? Though. Who's counting? <laughs> so so with all pause on, I am curious. I am curious. First of all, where did the idea come from? And 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 what was it like early on? Not only acquiring funding, but just getting this concept off the ground to a place where people can say, Whoa, what is this guy doing over here?
1: So first I just want to circle back to your prior quote. Uh, I was quoting a, from a terrific business book called the hard thing about hard things. um, I ordered that
0: as soon as you recommended it, by the way,
1: (laughs) by Ben Horowitz from a 16 z and his quote was whenever I talk to successful founders, I always ask them how they do it. And he's like, the good ones, and I'm paraphrasing here, the good ones say, you know, I was smart, I did this, I had this brilliant trick, whatever. The best ones say, I didn't quit. Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful. Yeah. Uh, Now, circling back to all pause. So I transitioned out of Snap Interactive end of 2012, Um, beginning of 2013. I missed, you know, starting something new. I took uh, a girl with me. Uh, Her name was Kim. She had worked with me at Snap Interactive and rented a small office. We were able to raise some friends and family money because Snap had done well. And I found myself in this really unusual, weird situation of having an office, having an employee, having money in the bank and having no idea what I wanted to do. (laughs) And, you know, we sat there for a period of time kind of thinking about ideas and actually uh, Literally writing them down oh on a piece of paper. Oh, my gosh. This and is the original? It, that is the original. Amazing. I found it recently. You can Amazing. see it, number one is Match.com for pets. for pets. Wow. And that came about out of, I think, a combination of things. One, I'm an animal lover. I thought it would just be fun to look at ideas in the pet industry. I was really looking for an excuse to pet a dog every now and then. But uh, <laughs> yeah, So I thought that would be a fun thing to do. And Kim at the time, I think, was looking to buy a dog, and she was looking online, and um, the experience was really poor. You know, at the time, Pet Finder was the largest site for pet adoption. They had maybe five search filters, pet type, 3 location, very little, and suddenly the light bulb went off. And I thought to myself, we have spent the last bunch of years building a sophisticated online dating product. What if we just transferred those same skills to the process of finding a pet? What turned out to be a pet to adopt because adoption and breeding don't really mix the crowds. Uh, Two different people. (laughs) Two different, very different people. So, you know, we focused on adoption and essentially built a dating app, Mm. a dating site. Everything that we did was dating related. Uh, You know, we have 30 different search filters for... You know, when we are email programs, instead of saying, um, you know, hey, Daryl, here are five women in your area that you might like. It's hey, Daryl, here are five dogs in your area we think you might like. Mm -hmm. So all of our inspiration was taken from online dating sites and essentially just transferring the same skills that we had applied to uh, the dating site into All Paws. And just to jump ahead a minute, it's kind of interesting because Saturday is a social product. And so, I, not that I ever set out on this journey for this particular reason, but it's interesting that really every major business that I've had is kind of built around connecting Connect. people or or pets, in this case, people with pets, and figuring out how to improve the the, the search experience, the filter experience, to make better connections. Yeah, you know, it, it's unintentional, but it's interesting how skills can you know can transfer across different inju- industries and you know, apply to other things while leveraging what you're good at.
0: Absolutely. And so one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that a lot of startup founders are, uh, they, they kind of pigeonhole themselves by being too bought into an idea. Yeah. Now, did you go through any of that with all pause initially? Like, Hey, this is how we're going to build this app. It's going to be amazing. And then a pivot or what was that experience like with all pause?
1: I mean, I'm always testing, hmm. uh, it, everything is a test. So, you know, I think you approach it with a general direction and, you know, we, we set out to build a product. Well, first thing we did was validate the idea. And in the case of All Paws, you know, All Paws was a two-sided marketplace. So we had to validate both sides. So we talked to shelters and rescues to find out if there was demand for a, a better product to help people find pets and help people connect with shelters, etc. And And there was, Then the bigger issue was, you know, is there gonna be demand on the user side and can we make it economical? So put up a coming soon landing page, uh, spent a few hundred dollars driving traffic to the landing page through Google ads and measured the conversion rate of the the email capture on the coming soon page. And with a little optimization, we were able to get that up near 35%, which is pretty sick. And what that showed us was okay, we can actually get people to our product and they will give us their email address indicating they're interested. So we're going to not, we're not going to have a hard time getting users to use this product. So at that point, once we had validated, we set out to build the product and we launched. And from there, it's just, it's a series of experiments. You know, it's it's testing, it's testing features. It's trying to optimize everything. It's optimizing your landing page. It's optimizing you know, your search process. It's optimizing your emails. It's figuring out which levers to pull, seeing what works, again, test, learn, iterate, seeing yes. what works, doubling down on what works, you know, throwing away the things that didn't work. Uh, you know, All pause, I mean, we we did, I remember my, my developer wanted to strangle me, but we launched all pause sometime around October, 2013. And I think by March, 2014, we had done a full redesign of the product. Oh my God. And he was like, he's like, I remember him saying it to me, he goes, oh, that's your one. He goes, you get one redesign. He goes, that's it. You're done. But it, you know, it's just an ongoing thing of, of adding new features, testing them, trying them tossing them in the trash if they don't work and just continually trying to get better and better and, you know, optimizing your your acquisition funnels, optimizing your landing pages. Like I probably, you know, an ongoing kind of fun activity for me was testing the hero image on the landing page, which in our case was generally a dog. I probably went through 30 different versions of mostly dogs, a few cats, but it, uh, the idea of, a sad dog, you know, a small dog, a large dog, a, a happy looking dog, dog with a baby, puppy, you know, girl lying <laughs> in the grass with a puppy, like every variation you could find. And this goes back to your ego question. Like Somebody could look and say, I think that this is the picture that the hero image, that should be on the page. For me, it's I want to put what's going to perform the best. And I don't know. I can make some bets. But it turns out there was a sad black lab kind of sad looking, that ultimately performed best of anything. It wasn't the saddest one we ever did. I mean, I did a couple with a dog in a cage, a dog behind a fence, versions that were much more kind of pulling at the heartstrings. I figured that, you know, a little kid holding a puppy would perform well, or like I said, a girl lying in the grass, or none of them ever performed this particular black lab. I could never figure out why. And but it wasn't about ego. It wasn't about me saying I know what's going to work. It was the data is showing me that this is what converts at the highest. So this is what we're going with.
0: Yeah, test, learn, iterate. And you, you, I hear you say that all the time. And I love that because it takes the subjectivity, subjectivity out of progression. You're you're actually just testing, and then the numbers are going to tell you where to go from there. Which is super interesting. How how much you're really speaking to a lot of flexibility, right? With a startup, especially in the, in, in the tech startup world, there's a lot of flexibility that, that the business demands. How, how, how much flexibility kind of continues on through the business into maturity based on you know the, the variations of... Because at the end of the day, like your culture, I'm sure it would solidify over time. There's a lot that ends up calcifying in, the, in a good way. They, it kind of becomes steady, but there has to be some flexibility as well to pivot when necessary to adjust the small things to move the needle?
1: Yeah. So I think particularly focusing on culture, I go back to Snap Interactive, which was our first company, which we grew from two, my brother and I, to ultimately about 50 people. Amazing. And it, Yeah. And it, it was pretty quick. I mean, that business grew very quickly. The growth of the product far outpaced the growth of the organization. Okay. We had a lot of growing pains. It, it, it's different at every stage, mm-hmm. right? Running a, a five to 10 person company is very different than running a 25 person company, which is very different than running a 50 person company. I kind of view startups as a race against time to find product market fit because you only, you really, you have to find it before your cash runs out. Yeah. You have limited runway to do it. And my view on how to do that is again, test learn iterate test as much as possible you want to take as many swings at the plate as you possibly can to give yourself the best chance to do it before the cash runs out yeah and then once you have product market fit you know like we found with snap interactive then the business changes you're suddenly you're more responsible for putting together a real infrastructure a real organization and you know the culture changes as well you know i think the time to pivot I think you always have to be open to pivoting. I mean, there are small pivots and large pivots. Obviously, as I've talked about, I'm not going to repeat my phrase for the thousandth time, but <laughs> all of those are kind of small pivots. Large pivots are when you know it's not working or when you think you've taken something as far as you possibly can. And that was actually a situation I found myself in with All pause. after mm. you know two and a half years-ish. I felt like I didn't know how much further I could take it as an adoption focused product mm. with without a serious raise and without you know seriously increasing the amount of resources behind us i'm not saying we couldn't continue to gain incrementally as we are but i really looked at it and i'm like is there a path here to 10xing this business in the next year or two with existing resources and i kind of got to the point where I wasn't seeing it. And I felt like I had thrown every trick in the book at it. I had tested all the ideas I wanted to test. I had optimized the crap out of you know our, our emails on pretty much every acquisition channel. And the gains are starting to become incremental. So I looked at it. You know, ultimately, we decided to pursue a sale. But I was at an inflection point where I had to choose between trying to raise cash, uh, looking to sell the business, or pivoting. In the business. And one of the options I was looking at at the time was pivoting away from adoption into something more lifestyle oriented, social oriented for pet owners. So I don't, you know, I think it's as much art as science and you got to kind of use your judgment and intuition. And some of this comes from experience, but it's, I think, when you feel like you've sort of run out, I guess you're hitting diminishing returns and you've run out of kind of major things to test and you're really not making the kind of gains that you want to make.
0: Did you, did you see yourself liking your job less when it was less hectic?
1: You know, I think entrepreneurs are gluttons for punishment. I think (laughs) as brutal as it is, we thrive on the, the hectic nature. I go back to when I left Snap, there was about a month in between Snap and all Plus. and I had done Snap for seven years, and we built that company up literally from my brother and I, you know, not even having an office in 2005 to, as like I said, you know, 50 employees, 100 million users, 100 million revenue. I was you know, at my late 20s, 30s at the time. I had become friends with a lot of the people there. That was a big part of my life. Yeah. And I remember the first, the day I left, I left the middle of the day and I came home. I had no idea what to do with myself. And for the next couple of weeks, I I felt like I had just broken up with a serious girlfriend. Like my life felt so empty and without purpose. There was no, there were no emails to check. There was no 11 o'clock at night work to do. There was no fires to put out. So as much as for years I was sitting there going, God, I need a vacation. I'm so burnt out. I I hate you know that something broke on a Sunday. You know I missed it like yeah. it, it, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was so without purpose. You know I'll say after I saw the all pause, it wasn't quite the same extreme, and maybe it was just the fact that it was. 12 or 13 years straight of going at it between the two companies. Yeah. So maybe at the time I was really burnt out, but yeah, I think, I think we kind of thrive on this stuff. It's, uh, you know, (laughs) I joke to someone the only thing worse than running a startup is not running a startup. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's the
0: absolute truth, man. And it's, it's, it's funny. You say a glutton for punishment. I really do feel like a lot of entrepreneurs not only do they does the chaos bring the best out of them, I also believe though, I also believe that they're more like they're they're it really does like they're more productive, they're more in control. Like it sounds completely counterproductive, but I feel more in control when things are the craziest because it forces more of my
1: awareness. I think that's exactly right. I, I think you have to be built for it and and you understand as a business owner too that you have to be able to not only withstand the pressure, but thrive under pressure. Yes. And I'm not saying it it can't get to you. Like it gets to everybody at some point and it's okay to reach out to you know, friends, whatever, therapists, whatever, for help. Like nobody's invincible. Nobody's a robot. But in general, the people who are good at this are the ones who thrive under pressure yeah. and use that to motivate them. Like I'm the kind of person... You know, I was the kind of person who would study for a final exam the night before <laughs> I did. You know, you go back to the SATs. My best score on my SATs was the actual exam. Like, I need that. I need, to, you know, I need that pressure. I need yeah. that challenge to rise to the occasion. So I, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, that's that's the case.
0: I completely. And let's agree. put it
1: this way. If, if you're not good with pressure and you can't handle pressure, then... Probably don't be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of there's a lot of easier, less pressure-filled ways to earn a living.
0: It hurts so good, right? I mean, it really does. It's
1: it's the perfect saying, perfect way to express it. It's true. It,
0: it it's, is, and I find I find that the, the the more experience that I gain in business, the more you know you have to have a thick skin and a soft heart, right? Um, I love that. You, you have to be able to uh, trek through the storm, but also maintain the relationships as delicately as you would when everything's great. And, um, you know, one of the things that you've mentioned that I, that I'm really curious about, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are curious about, but when you start, a, when you, when you get into the startup world, they uh, considering stress, there's a ton of conversation around investors, investment rounds. You mean, you said earlier, Hey, listen, we have to do as much, uh, Tesla and iterating it until we run out of funding. Like how far can we push this thing before we run out of funding? Um, w- What's that like? What's it like to not because because I want to tie the, the, you know, the knot between investment and, and, and the acquisition process. What's it like finding investors, you know, and, and being bought into your idea because they're not going to buy in unless you have a plan. It's, it's fortified and you have that self-belief. But that's got to be scary too. taking somebody's money and a lot of it. It sucks. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> okay.
1: I I don't think you're gonna find any founder who tells you otherwise when it comes to fundraising. Fundraising sucks. It's yes. a huge time suck, and you gotta you know you're gonna deal with an awful lot of no's. You know I think as you progress in your career as an entrepreneur, you kind of get more used to the process. And it really depends on whose money you're taking. Like, I know, for example, with our most recent app, Saturday, my brother and I are co founders of that. We've turned down investors. Like, you become more willing to, you kind of know who you don't want to work with, who's going to be a pain in the ass. Mm. You also don't want investors who are going to be really upset about losing their money. You know, we literally will try to, anybody who shows any trepidation, we will try to talk them out of investing <laughs> and basically say, assume that you will never see a penny of this again. And you know, don't get me wrong. Obviously, if you're pitching a VC or a, a professional, you're going to approach them differently. But when it comes to like angels and especially friends and family, you want to let them know what they're signing up for, which is, you know, 95% of the time startups fail yeah. and they're going to lose their money. So. But when it comes to, you know, the more professional investors, the the VCs and the angels and the high net worth individuals, it's a grind. I mean, there have been many days where, you know, you do six, eight, 10 calls and you're going back to back to back and, you know, you're getting a lot of no's. And a lot of times the no's are very frustrating. It's, yeah. you know, I really love what you're doing. I This totally resonates. It's just a touch too early for us. I just need to see this one piece of data. You know, we'd love to lead your next round. And, <laughs> you know, so in a way it's a numbers. Look, it, it, unless you're just a unicorn and everyone's throwing money at you, it's a numbers game. And yeah. it's also challenging to, you know, connect with the right investors. And that's something that comes from building, building up your network over time.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, in the beginning, I mean, a lot of first-time entrepreneurs will say to me, like, How do I fundraise? And especially right now when the market for early stage is not strong, it's tough. Like if you're just starting out, you got to find people who believe in you, generally friends and family, and figure out how to validate your idea and get some initial traction as quickly as possible. And because without that, you're going to have a really hard time going to VCs or angels or high net worth individuals. The good news is it's never been cheaper Quicker, easier to validate an idea. And there are so many more ways to validate an idea now than there were 20 years ago. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, my first project, it was like you wrote a business plan, you built the product, then you transition to, okay, let's try to validate before. Now we're in a world where there are no code tools. You can, you know, you can build a community and essentially pre-sell something that hasn't even been built yet yes. based on needs and pain points. Yeah. So we're in a very different world. So that does make it easier, but you have to go back to your answer. You you have to have thick skin. You have to prepare for a lot of no's and it's a real distraction to running your business because it's a big time suck.
0: Yeah. And I, 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 I hear a lot of people considering startups. Um, um you know, I, I feel like I'm in, a million different like small little networking digital groups where people just kind of throwing their ideas out there everybody even friends i hear talking about their business always worried about startup funding and it's interesting to me because i always felt like it's probably the easiest thing to find is somebody that wants to throw money at something depending how much of course but then the other, on the other side of it, like even you know listening to the, your, your podcasts on, on the built to sell podcast and talking to you and other people that are in startup world, there is a whole other side to that investment that says, hey well, we have to get their money back either at, via like a some sort of loan or they have equity. And so that's a whole other mix and tier of complication to that that investment stuff and, 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 and then that startup funding. What was that like navigating whether or not to decide if you want to make it like a loan based or, or giving them equity? Because you don't want to you don't want to water down your equity before you even start.
1: It's true. Yeah. I, the kind of businesses that I've always done have always been equity investments uh, because it's you know building, whether it's a, a social app or a website or those kind of startups typically are are equity investments or now initial investments are in the form of what's called a safe okay. uh, which stands for simple agreement for future equity but they're they're essentially Equity investments because those types of businesses don't have hard assets so they can't really get loans which goes back to what I' was saying about being discriminating about who you want to work with and who you're going to let in and you know some investors, look, every, every founder is going to have a different approach on what kind of help they want from their investors, how often they want to communicate with them. Some want to be left alone some want to lean on them hard and everything in between. But yeah, if you're going to take someone's money, they, you know, they'll have rights might be limited, but they're going to be involved. You're going to communicate with them. Yeah. So, you know, we've turned down people where we're just like they're going to be a real pain in the ass to work with yeah. and you just kind of get that sense like all right if they're already busting your chops this much before investing you know they might be absolutely brutal as investors because you want investor you're going to go through downturns and again most startups ultimately fail yeah you know some of us have been lucky enough to have ones that didn't But you need investors, you need to envision that scenario where one day you're going to make the call and tell them, I'm sorry, you know, we tried, it didn't work out. And you need to have people, you know, at a bare minimum, who are okay with that and understand that those are the risks of making these kinds of high risk investments. And in a perfect world, you find people who will actually be supportive and help you through that period you know, typically that will come from more seasoned investors who have large portfolios of investments. They're, you know, angels who make a lot of investments or VCs and they understand and they know you worked your ass off. But the last thing you want is someone who's going to make your life really difficult when times are tough or even when they're not tough and, you know, always expect to be kept updated in a manner that's not reasonable with, you know, customs and norms or what you're comfortable with. So, choose wisely. Yeah. With that said, it's it can be a challenge because money is money yeah. and unless you're in a position to truly choose between you know the best of the best investors, the most value add investors, it's hard to turn down a check when you're raising yeah. money.
0: Yeah, 100%. That 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 makes a lot of sense and what I've learned as well is that there's there's a few different kinds of investors, not not only just the, the agreement, the arrangement, but I know that there's non-accredited and accredited investors and accredited are people who have acquired and maintained a certain level of wealth that qualifies them as an accredited investor. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. From what I, the the rules might have changed recently. I know they used to be, I think either a net worth of a million dollars or, and, or income of. Over, I want to say, 200,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. in the last two of the last three years yeah. or something to that effect. But basically, they have to meet a minimum net worth or income threshold to be accredited. Okay. And they're treated very differently. Uh, we're we're going to get into the weeds on, on securities <laughs> law here. But certain <laughs> offerings, you're allowed to have, let's say, up to 35 non-accredited investors. But you have to provide them with additional information and disclaimers. Basically, the presumption is an accredited investor is smart enough and sophisticated enough to understand the risk and can afford to lose, whereas a non-accredited investor doesn't know what they're getting themselves into, so you have to go overboard to provide them with material. And this also fits into, you know, crowdfunding offerings, right. which have become a lot more prevalent these days. Um I can go in more into securities law, but I don't think you have me here for ring D offering uh, the 504s, 506s.
0: It's all interesting to me, quite honestly. And, you know, one of the things I've been interested about is what like is are these conversations, these types of meetings, what your day to day was before you sold all pause? What was that day to day like? And I know it's a sliding scale of entrepreneurialism like owning a business is such a sliding scale such a spectrum when somebody asks me well what what do you do in a day to day i'm like like ask me any question but that because it changes every single day and barely is any day the same as another
1: yeah my answer is the same as yours okay. it's I, whether it was all pause snap saturday i mean we i've had days with saturday because we we are in the middle of raising capital where the bulk of the day was researching these types of offerings and what's the difference between, a you know, a reg D offering and a file, Reg CF crowdfunding offering. And how does that work with accredited and non-accredited investors that might be the better part of one day, you know, the next day might be focused. Most days are focused on the product. And then as you grow, there's hiring, I, there's every aspect. And as you know, as a, you know, founder slash CEO, you're wearing a million different hats especially in the early days and that also goes back to the difference between a five, 10 person company and a 50 person company but you know in a five or ten person company the founders and ceos are doing everything or at least should have the attitude that no job is beneath them yeah you know i think back to snap interactive my first company you know there was a day when we finally moved into our first real office uh myself my, my brother, my dad who was involved and our good family friend Jim who was our controller, we literally were carrying furniture, you know, from like my my dad's my parents' basement into uh, into the office and we're sitting there they, and the, our employees are watching us like carrying a couch and lugging a couch up the up the steps. and you know, uh, that I think sets the tone. Yeah, I think it's That's really important to show that, hey, as a founder, as a CEO, no task is beneath me at the early stages because we're going to do whatever it takes to make this thing work.
0: That's so good, man. And so as, as you have that mindset, as it's growing, especially in the short time that it did, what was your filter, your rule of thumb to delegate and to hire out? Because at the end of the day, w- when you're building something so fast, you're you're you, you the CEO, the founder, the owner has to be very reactive. You have to have the capacity, the the margin to react. So you have to delegate most of what's done in the business. How do you filter that out to know what to delegate?
1: It's hard. I mean, I go back That's to awesome. Snap where we grew up to 50 pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, some of it, right, like like anything else, some of it at one day is wow, we really need this will be near and dear to your heart, you know, a dedicated chief marketing officer. Mm -hmm. And it's on the list. And it's one of the 50 things on the list. And maybe you go after it and maybe two weeks later, it just got pushed down the list and it didn't become as big a need. But I think my general advice to people who ask me that question is, if it's a job that the CEO or a founder is doing, when they really become a bottleneck or a blocker, that's when it's time to seriously think about it. You know, uh, I think somebody asked me this recently with regard to when to hire a a product manager or a chief product officer, and because I'm a firm believer that the founder or CEO should be driving product from the beginning. And my answer was when the CEO or founder becomes a blocker, when stuff isn't getting done because their to-do list is the CEO's to-do list is too large that they can't get into meetings and they're actually holding up progress that's when i think you really need to think about bringing in the right person. Mm, that's and good. It, we're actually discussing when that is. I it's probably somewhere in the, you know, 10 to 12 person range at least for a startup. Yeah. Um that that's kind of how i've always viewed it. As well as if, you know, depending on the nature of the business and you know i've talked about this uh, in, in particular, if there is a glaring need that the CEO or founder isn't strong in, but it's becoming something that is really important to the business, bringing someone else in who can handle those tasks to free the CEO up to do what they do best.
0: That's good. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like oftentimes young in business entrepreneurs overthink that. And they just try to hire based on what they see other people hiring and what they think they should be doing. But it's funny, uh, a book that was referred to me recently by a friend named Nate the the book's called Small Giants: Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big, which is interesting because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be great and big. I guess I don't, I don't know. But the book is kind Good of combination. Yeah, exactly. It's some sort of balance, right? Well, the, the the funny part about this book, the interesting part that resonates with with what you just said, was that so often entrepreneurs they have this. Um, Fake blueprint in their head because they've seen somebody else run a business a certain way or they, they're looking over at this business or they admire Steve Jobs so they try to follow Apple or but they're completely different businesses in completely yes. different times and completely different economic uh, you know timeline like that a lot of different things uh, factor into decisions and hiring and those types of things. but what I hear you saying is hire for solutions, not from some sort of blueprint.
1: I think you just said it better than me, but that is absolutely <laughs> true, you. right? There's, yeah. you know, I, I've like used this as a tweet, but you know, don't live your life according to someone else's map. No two journeys in business or in life are identical. Yeah. So you can solicit advice, and and I'm all in favor of this. You can surround yourself with a tribe of mentors. You can ask for advice from ten different people, way more successful than you. Doesn't mean you have to take it. None of them know your business the way you do, you know, filter it all through your, whatever lens you want to filter it through, use them as data points, and then make the best possible decision for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, to your point, yeah, a lot of founders, I think, kind of think I have to do it this way. I have to do it that way. I'll, I'll go to an example. Um, you know, I, I read this somewhere. What's the, what's the definition or the job description of a chief operating officer? And it's basically to do whatever the CEO doesn't do, right? And it's, <laughs> yeah, I but it's true. A like, CEO would and, love that. <laughs> but it, it's so true because as a company is growing, right? A CEO is going to have strengths. And, and yes, there are certain key responsibilities for a CEO. But if the CEO is strong at sales, marketing, and they want to be out there talking to people or whatever, then you want a COO that's going to manage employees and going to manage operations. Yeah. And, if the CEO does something different, basically you hire, as you said, you hire for need and hire for solution, not because, you know, Apple did this or this company did this. No two businesses are alike. No two people are alike and needs are always going to be different.
0: Yeah. And so when, as you're going through that process of finding these solutions and, and, you know, you can't, I think we've even talked about the, the plateau journey of business. Like you do great, you explode, then you f- it's flat, and then you explode, then it's flat. And there's these tiers of, of growth and reacting and hiring or, or firing, whatever the case might be. But then you get to this point where somehow, some way, this idea of acquisition comes to your mind. <laughs> what was the process like? Because from our previous conversations, this is a beast of a transition for an entrepreneur. Let's talk about the acquisition process for all pause.
1: So I was at a, you know, an, an inflection point with all pause, as I said, it was either pivot, look to raise money or look to sell. Hmm. And I decided to look into the possibility of selling, uh, got some referrals to a couple of bankers, ultimately hired one a company called triangle capital that told me they were fairly confident in their ability to sell the company and, um, you know, went through the process with them. And it was, as you said, the process is a beast. I'm I'm happy to dive into any aspect you want. I think we started in January and as I said, the the deal closed in October and a lot, and this is for, you know, all pause was not a huge company. We were three people out of a single office at the time. Um, just, uh, as an example, to show you what goes into the process, this is oh the book, God. the book of the all pause acquisition. This is every agreement that went into the deal. Wow. I mean, you can see it looks like an old phone book. I don't even know how many pages. So it, it's a process. Um, yeah, as I said, happy to dive into kind of any particular aspects of it that you want.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm most curious about, um, Because you hear about acquisitions, but the process, like it was January to October before it closed. Like that's, to me, that's insane. You know, and I I always hear that, you know, in business, you want to get to a place where you can work on it and not in it. It makes your business more valuable and it creates vitality in your business as well. What was the process like replacing yourself in the business um, in that transition? Which is nearly impossible, as we all know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was, with with all pause, that was impossible, essentially, because we were, by the time we sold, you know, two and a half people. So there was no way to replace me, which presented some challenges because I remember early in the process telling the bankers that once we sold, I didn't want to work for an acquirer. I'm never working for anybody. And they're like, you can't say that. (laughs) <laughs> like at the very least, I mean, they kind of coached me on how to answer it, but they said at the very least, you're going to have to agree to stay on for some kind of transition period. Okay, like a consult. That was what it was supposed to be. You know, in uh, my particular case, it literally ended up being I I signed for they retained me for a year as a quote unquote consultant. Okay. Um, which basically meant me doing exactly the same thing I had been doing previously for 11 and a half of the 12 months. I just ran the business as before. I mean, I had been paid already, deal closed. I no longer owned it, but I was doing exactly the same thing I was doing. I was continuing to run, manage the business, performing the same tasks. And it wasn't until month 12 that they brought on a replacement who I had to spend training. So, you know, I'm sure every deal is different, but for me, you know, they they told me originally that they were going to look to bring somebody in sooner than later, and I'd work closely with them, blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, for 11 months, they just left me alone to keep doing what I was doing. And, you know, I would talk to them, whatever, every week or so and kind of check in, and we would try to align on goal, mutual goals. But for the most part, I was just managing day to day the same way I did previously.
0: Interesting that is really interesting and so you know okay that in that in that case then did you at any point get frustrated like hey where's my replacement am i going to be here forever like what was that like and and who were you talking to like how because you're the owner but like that's it's such a weird situation like what was that day to day like and who were you even reporting to
1: it was very weird <laughs> i was reporting to the chief digital officer Mm-hmm. who had been hired after the deal closed. So he had no particular ties to this. He wasn't invested in it. He had no skin in the game, so to speak. You know, he was not a champion of the deal. So, and, and we were one of, I don't know, a half dozen digital properties that they owned at the time. Oh, and okay. it was, a, and we were the smallest so uh, it was not their top priority you were the smallest uh, you were the smallest what uh, they had they had purchased a company called pet 360 for i think 160 million dollars that oh, had a bunch of digital pro- properties they had their own digital properties so you know it, it, we were not at the top of the totem pole the process you know was largely it wasn't what i expected um As an entrepreneur, you know, I came in kind of full of ideas like, oh, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this. But because I was working from my still my small office in New York, and I had negotiated it this way, you know, I did not want to be an employee. But because I wasn't an employee, I had basically no ability to get anything done or effectuate change there. Hmm. And I could just bring up ideas. But I could say, hey, I think it would be great if we were tied in with your adoption events at your stores. I had no ability to make that happen. And because we were kind of low man on the totem pole, most of that stuff didn't happen. So a lot of it was, like I said, me just continuing to run the site as I had. And then also in the middle of this is when PetSmart acquired Chewy uh, for several billion dollars. And so that became their, their big focus. And they also were, they had been bought out recently by a private equity firm. There was just, there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, we, we were not at the top of their priority list. And so it was, it was a big adjustment for me. You know, I, I joked to people that I was no longer, I was employed part-time, you know, on a consulting basis, getting paid a nice check. And I had already deposited the money from the deal. So theoretically, no pressure, but for somebody who had worked you know for myself my entire life and was used to making things happen myself it was it was very challenging it was very frustrating and it was kind of a culture shock you know wow. i remember i remember a conversation with them saying we were talking about our iPhone app, which was getting 500 to a thousand downloads a day on zero marketing budget, had a nearly five star rating. It was top 100 in the lifestyle category of the app store. It was phenomenal. And I remember having a long conversation, a meeting with like, I don't know, eight, 10 different people on the call. And they were talking about bringing their agency in to redesign it. And I remember asking afterwards, Mike, look, I don't want to talk out of turn here. And I really went out of my way not to make any waves. But why are we redesigned? What are we looking to accomplish by, with a redesign? Like, you have a product that's nearly five stars across the board. It's getting you know, incredible downloads with no purely organically. Like, there's no issue with the product. The issue is wh- how do you want to leverage the product and how do you want to integrate it with your existing offerings, right. etc.? But it was just, that's just kind of how they operated is, you know, they used agencies and things like that. So, you know, I, I talked to a few people who had gone through this process, who had been acquired, who gave me good advice. And, you know, the advice was basically, you know, be Zen about everything. Just your, your goal is to help, you know, to do what you're asked to do, to always offer to help, not give them any reason to be upset with you. And understand that it's no longer yours. Wow. So, you know, it it was it was a tough thing to learn for an entrepreneur who had always kind of controlled my own destiny and and been in charge of everything myself. But I had a year to get used to it. You know, it is what it is,
0: and it kind of reminded you that you never wanted to work for anybody again.
1: (laughs) I would say reinforced, reinforced, reinforced my what you already knew. It it, it validated my uh, lifelong (laughs) proclamation, and and I get it. You know, to your to your original point, if you can put yourself, if you're looking to pursue a sale, and you can put yourself in a position where you are no longer mission critical to the business. If you're not looking to stay a part of it, it makes it a lot easier. And you can do that through systematizing, through focusing yeah. on different products. You and I have discussed, you know, build to sell is a book mm-hmm. as well that highlights that process. Yep. You know, when you're when you're a founder in a small company, it's a lot harder to separate yourself. Different acquirers have different goals too. You know, That's some true. want to acquire you for the some want the team, some want you, some want to acquire you because they want you to be heavily involved and and run a department or and some, you know, and fortunately in my case, the the two who made the final bids for us, they both wanted me around for one year. And you know, as long as I was, you know, not an employee and as long as I was able to work from home. And in that case, working from home meant being in New York as opposed to, you know, being in their office wherever they were located, that was fine for me. I could live with that.
0: You know, it's interesting to me that you were able to do what you did with all pause three employ two and a half employees because one was a contractor and i i mean i'm sitting here thinking well there's a team of six here and we weren't doing nearly as much as you guys were doing in revenue it, it, it's completely different concept but it just it blows my mind now with that though a small team when you when you approached that person that was going that agency that was going to help you sell the business did they kind of do an assessment and say, "Hey, these are the things we need to change before selling," or was it like, "Hey, we're ready to go now"? What was that process like?
1: No, uh, there was nothing that uh, about changing. You know, they're they're a bank. They their experience with selling businesses. They were a little skeptical, not because of anything that needed changing, more because you know we were small. Comparatively small on the revenue side. We were doing low seven figures in revenue. Um, So it wasn't a huge revenue business. And it's crazy
0: to hear you say that, but continue. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they're, they deal with a lot of companies, they're middle markets. So they'll deal with companies that are doing, you know, 50 million, 100 million in revenue, 20 million, whatever. Um, They were more trying to figure out is this a business they feel that they can sell? And they really kind of had to get, wrap their head around what made us different, You know what our unfair advantages were, what the marketplace was like. And Richard, who was the lead partner there who I worked with, I remember him saying to me, they called me in for a meeting finally. And he said, we were skeptical, but I got to tell you, you know, after meeting you and talking to you and hearing you discuss the business and hearing your vision for it, et cetera, I think we can do this. Wow. We'd like to take the assignment. So you-
0: your passion, your belief in this product and honestly your love for dogs, like that's a thing. Like let's talk about that, right? <laughs> your your love for dogs it it, pro- it propelled their belief in you because of the vision that you had for this. To me, I think that's so important for entrepreneurs to understand. I can't tell you how many times now I'm a I'm a high energy individual. You know this, like but yes. I've had so many people say to me I'll be honest with you. We we love what you're doing. The prices are comparable, but your passion, your belief is, is what is making us do, you know, sign the contract. That is what really pushed them over the edge to believe in this concept, your vision, your belief.
1: Passion, vision, authenticity go a long way. And it's kind of funny to say that that's what got the bankers to be willing to take the assignment. And ultimately, of course, be paid by me. But yeah, um, i think what it did you know they're looking at a description of a business on a piece of paper they didn't know me before this they're looking at okay it does a million dollars a year in revenue whatever it does a million and a half visits a month They're like you know for an investment bank it was a relatively small property sure and you know in, in not an especially sexy industry so they're looking at that on paper and i think kind of meeting me hearing my vision hearing me describe the product gave them a deeper understanding of what i had built what i was trying to build how it could be leveraged so i think that helped them view the product a different way and gave them you know more of a belief in their ability to sell it and you know explain to a buyer why it would be of value to them
0: that's super interesting, and I have uh, probably a hundred more questions. I told you we're gonna have to do a part two to this. Do you still I'm have time? Done. I want to respect yeah, your time. I'm, you still have time? No, I'm good. I'm okay, good. cool. So, th- the next question that I have for you, this is the last one I have about All Pause, but I'm really fascinated with All Pause, what you built, and in, in, in the story behind it, the, the the acquisition process, all of it. Now, at at any point in time, was there this desire? To Hey, I want to do something new. You're an entrepreneur. You're a serial entrepreneur. Listen, this isn't your first trip around, you know, for, this isn't your first rodeo. It's, it wasn't your first exit. Was this something that, hey, I, I, I'm kind of itching for something new? Because you said, you know, the three things that you said that kind of came into the decision of, of selling was between pivoting the business model, uh, raising more funding, or selling. And you chose selling. Was that because you were interested in doing something new, or what? What was that? I guess internal uh, dialogue.
1: I think the internal dialogue at the time was so pivoting. I think the pivoting was me wanting to do something new, probably. Okay. Uh, yeah. That would have satisfied that itch, but you know, it was the pivoting meant more time and effort. Raising money meant a lot more time and effort. I wasn't that confident in <laughs> it. And the sale, the idea of a sale was like, I kind of looked at it beginning in 2005 with Snap up to whenever this was, you know, late 2015, early 2016. Did this feel like I was at the end of a long process or did I feel like this was just, you know, another plateau and I was ready to climb an even higher mountain? And I was tired, you know, the one of my employees, she was getting married. She was moving away. You know, my, my dad had just passed away. Like all of these things together. I kind of felt like if I was able to sell it for a decent price, you know, and in effect change my life, it was a good outcome and it was a satisfying outcome and it might not have been a unicorn. And do I always think I could have done more? Sure. But the idea of actually, you know, Putting some money in the bank, investors are taken care of, and being able to you know, take a little bit of a rest. It just it it felt right. It felt like once I knew that option was available and the bankers said they were confident, you know, I got excited about that option.
0: Now that is life-changing stuff. Like that's I mean, in and, and, and not to people get weird about money, but you know, we we discuss it pretty openly life that's life-changing money man like what was that feeling like finally saying like hey listen not only does all the hard work pay off financially but you you have more flexibility to just pursue the things you want to pursue at that point in time and I really want to get into that next because there's a lot to be discussed with that and in and and leveraging the experience and the wisdom that you have at this point but what was that experience like finally selling and being like things aren't this they're never going to be the same
1: I think, you know, after the the first kind of just dropping to the floor, i go, wow, I did it. Um, the, the best part of it, I think, as I've gotten older, right, you realize that you start coming to terms with your own mortality and your legacy and you realize life is about experiences. I just feel incredibly satisfied, gratified, hmm. fulfilled to have accomplished something that very few people ever get to experience yes. and it's kind of the pinnacle for an entrepreneur is having an exit yeah. and yeah, yeah. what i've loved it to be an exit that was you know 10 times bigger and i could have bought a private jet short but i actually you know when i actually sat down and reflected on it it was like i took i, I, I go back to the, the visual from before something that started in this. a single room office with writing down ideas on a piece of paper i love that and Three, whatever the time is, you know, three and a half years later, a multi, multi-billion dollar company that's a household name paid yeah. me millions of dollars to buy something that I built that began as an idea in my head. And that's just, you know, it's an incredible feeling of accomplishment and satisfaction. And it's like no matter what I do the rest of my life, no one can ever take that away from me. Yeah. And I got to experience something that very few people ever experience. And, you know, whether it's for credibility or bragging or whatever you want to call it on a LinkedIn profile or just conversation, I feel like that's a piece of me now that defines me. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm an exited entrepreneur. It's, so I think the thing that stuck out for me just was you know, how gratifying and rewarding that was and life changing in that sense. Yeah. Know, much more than the money. Money yeah. comes and goes and there's other ways to make money. But like I said, nobody can ever take that away from me. And, you know, I did it. It was a real feeling of like, holy crap, I did it.
0: Yeah. I mean, a, a huge brand that everybody knows about believed in your idea and said, "I, we want this. And we're actually willing to pay a lot of money for it. Like, to me, that is like, I mean, every doubt you could have had as an entrepreneur, it's like gone. And so like, that, it's just like a, it's funny. It's almost like a, like a video game, like a super boost. Like you just leveled up. You know what I mean?
1: It, it did. It's when, I, when you tell people that you had an exit or you were acquired, and as I said, you know, I put it in my bio on on LinkedIn or Twitter, like people immediately look at you differently. Yeah, And so from a social proof perspective, yeah, it, it's instant credibility, instant validation. But as I said, just for me personally, especially as I've gotten older and kind of viewed life differently, just incredible feeling of pride and accomplishment just to know that, household name paid me serious money for something that started as an idea in my head it's with sharpie you know, really really cool
0: it, it, really it, cool they 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 bought something that started as a sharpie of one to five ideas to me i love that and i'm so glad you kept that and you framed it uh, uh you laminated it i think it needs framed man it also needs referred to in whatever book that you need to be writing at some point in time
1: Oh I, boy.
0: I know. You do this every time I bring it up, man. But aside from the book, you know, you consider social proof and you know when P- you've you've actually done really well building your social platforms, but that's a new thing for you. That's something that yeah. you've, you've you've pivoted to recently and then you've then you just dominated. I think it's just that, uh, that hyper-focus that a lot of entrepreneurs have, if this, if this is what I want to do, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I'm going to find the way to get there. And I'm not going to give up to your, to your point earlier as the best entrepreneurs uh, attribute to their success to just not giving up. And so, you know, seeing your success on, on socials and I'm learning so much every time I read your content, honestly, sometimes I'll just go to your profile and see what you had to say the week before. If I was not active (laughs) And you know and, and not only that though you're also helping other people build their platforms now that you've uh, you know I guess to crack the code if you would and and not only that though you're, you're doing a lot of uh, consult consulting and coaching for for business owners for startups um, and people who are wanting to um, build their digital uh, their personal brand on these platforms. What's that transition been like and what's it been like with working with business owners who are saying you know you have wisdom you have the credentials you have exited twice and at this point in time you have what it takes to help somebody get there because you've been there. What's that bit? What's that experience been like?
1: It's been wild. Yeah. You know, I, I, have built obviously companies, I've built products to multiple million, multi-million users. I've built company pages, social pages to high levels. Personally, I always kept a very low profile. I always did, you know, I would do press for my products, but not personally. And, you know, you go back to my Twitter six months ago, I had 400 followers and was retweeting dog videos, you know, Instagram, <laughs> I post, I post three times a year, two of which are for my dog's birthday and my dog's adoptiversary. <laughs> so it wasn't really my thing, but, you know, again, you talk about wanting to explore your creative side and I've accumulated a lot of knowledge and wisdom over the years. And I've, I did a lot of informal advising. And I thought it would be nice to actually do this more seriously and work with, you know, larger companies who could actually afford to pay me. Yeah. So I thought the best way to approach this is I'm going to build an audience online. And yeah. that wasn't the only reason Like I am convinced at now the power of building an audience and building a personal brand. I view it as so powerful that I was willing to sacrifice my anonymity for it. Hmm. So... You know, I've spent the last six months building up my social presence. I've grown on Twitter from 400 to 21,000 in a few months. Uh, LinkedIn, as you've seen, getting a lot of a lot of engagement and just starting to share some of this wisdom. And it's interesting. I mean, I posted something on LinkedIn a few days ago, uh, like five uh, on Twitter as well. You know, five ways to validate a startup idea. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And I actually got like three or four different companies reach out and they're like, this is the kind of thinking we need. Are you available for advising? And yeah, I I am. I mean, I'm very selective in who I work with. It has to be somebody that I really enjoy talking to because if we're going to get on a Zoom call, it's not something I have to do. So if I'm going to get on a call once a week, I want to really enjoy talking to that person. And more importantly, it has to be somebody I can really help. And so I I feel rewarded doing it. But, you know, I've been enjoying doing those, taking kind of clients on a case-by-case basis. And now with what I've done on social, I'm getting people asking me if I'm willing to help, you know, coach them on on how to grow on Twitter or how to grow their personal brand. And I'm really enjoying that too. And, you know, to your original point, yeah, I've taken the same mentality that I approach startups with and applied it to social. My approach, you know, to Twitter is test, learn, iterate. Yeah, Yeah. And, you know, to LinkedIn as well, Uh, so I'm a little behind on LinkedIn as compared to Twitter, although let's see where I am in six months, but it's all test, learn, iterate. It's see what's successful for for other people, see why it's working, really try to work out why it's working, then figure out how I can apply it myself. And, you know, I mean, I, I, you've seen my content. I post a lot of business advice. A lot of startup advice, entrepreneurship advice, a lot of mindset stuff. Yeah. But ironically, my far and away biggest thread was about a month ago on Twitter. And it was a Didn't video Elon- thread.
0: Yes. <laughs> okay, I, yes. I wanted to bring this up. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yes, This it one, was, this well, one gets me. I think you sent me a text that day when it happened too. I was yeah, like, I would, I mind was blown, blown. Yeah,
1: This was uh, a video thread. It was business lessons that you can learn from Breaking Bad. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. yes. And it was just kind of like, uh, you know, for all of my like detailed. Here are five ways to validate a startup idea, and you know, here's how you can test your landing page, and here's a deep dive into the economics of online dating. This is just a fun, yeah. you know, fun. Let's post a few Breaking Bad clips and kind of uh, do the juxtaposition between how awful the characters are versus the business lessons you can learn from it. And the thing went crazy viral, got yeah. nearly four million impressions, and. All of a sudden, I look up and there's a comment on it from Elon Musk. Elon you know, just, Stinking Musk, yeah. This just happened. And, you know, again, you talk about those experiences where I'm like, six months ago, I had no presence at all. I was not writing online at all, and now Elon Musk is giving me, you know, emoji responses to a tweet. So you know, it's wild. It's surreal. It's out of body, it's out of my comfort zone, but it's also a case of when I started this, I was like, I'm going to succeed at this. I don't know how, I don't have a game plan. I don't have a framework, but I'm just going to figure it out. Yeah. And I did. And again, it goes to the original points of, you know, test, learn, iterate as a framework, but also that incredible belief in yourself and that will to succeed and really just doing whatever it takes to make it happen if you're devoted to it.
0: That's so man that's that right there. I'm going to actually make a note to clip that one at 1 minute and our 1 hour and 13 minutes. That right there what you just said I feel as if that that's something that if any entrepreneur can assume that confidence and that awareness that you just explained the, the ability to succeed just it, it grows exponentially because it really just is a commitment to the process. We're going to figure it out. And yes. and it, it seems as if so many of the the startups that I'm familiar with, you know, the smaller ones that, you know, you, you see your friends or your family members have, they just give up too early. They give up. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, Test and iterate this commitment. I'm going to find a way to get to where I want to be. And it's funny. I just we just did a little training. We do this once a month. It's operation excellence and the team. We take turns teaching each other whatever uh, career lesson that comes that's been on our heart recently that month. Today it was understanding and defining goals is finding clarity around what I want to accomplish, why I want to accomplish, and, and and then the distance between me and that goal. And how will I know when I'm there? And so, you know, fast forward now, this was a few weeks ago, but that post had 2.8 million impressions, 11,000 likes, uh, 2,160 um, uh, retweets, and then 188 comments. And that was weeks ago.
1: Yeah, I think it ended up at around three point eight million. Uh, I don't know the likes and comments, but seven thousand plus bookmarks. That's crazy. Um, and you know, it, it all actually, I think, goes full circle to where we were before. About um, just you know how to balance ego, with, or you know how ego factors into this. So it's this was a case of the ego saying, "I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to grow quickly." I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with yeah. that you know, incredible sense of confidence. But the flip side is being able to acknowledge, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm willing to talk to people who have done it before, who are better than me at this, learn lessons from them, ask their advice, take their critiques, and try to learn from them. And that's what I've done. I mean, I've gotten to know a lot of creators. You know, Thankfully, I have a decent network. So I was able to kind of start and ask for intros and referrals. I mean, I was talking to people many, many years younger than me, people half my age and saying, hey, can you give me any advice at all on what do I need to know? How, how do I get started? You know, what are the keys to success? Right. So it it's the, the ego comes into play in I'm going to do this. I, I'm positive of it, but also being willing to ask for help and take the advice of people who are much smarter than you at it and learn from them.
0: Yeah, speaking of taking advice from people much smarter. Uh you've been so helpful with with uh, you know, I know we're a smaller business than you're typically working with, but you've been gracious enough to speak into, you know, my, you know, my experience as an entrepreneur and kind of navigating. We've had plenty of calls, uh some impromptu where like, "Hey man, what do I do right now?" and 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 some of the advice that you've given me has been so not, not. I think helpful is an understatement. I think it's been fundamental to shaping my awareness as an entrepreneur. And I think maybe that that's an, your intent. I'm not exactly sure, but I know that everything that you you do suggest, it comes in. This is what I recommend. And here's the deal it's coming from my experience, but you also are giving me the opportunity to say, Hey, listen, if you want it, you want it, you don't, you don't. You know, there's humility in that as well. But on the flip side, too, it's always very practical. What I hate, what I hate is when I, you know, you, you hear on social media influencers or mentors and they give you this like advice that you don't know what to do with it. You're just like, That sounds great and that's fun and you motivated me, but what practically can I do with this? And you're really good at giving practical advice to actually move the needle. And I think that's, that's, that's what separates you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for saying it. It's always my pleasure to, uh, you know, to, to share what I can and be helpful. And it's interesting you say that I actually talked to someone recently who I was helping with Twitter growth. And at the end of the call, she said, I've talked to so many people, you know, trying to advise me because she was also building an app. She said, you unlike almost all of them actually give actionable advice. Yes. And that's what separates you. I think, you know, I've done a lot and I understand kind of how to cut through the bullshit and figure out,
0: Yes, there you know, always is. tell people
1: what are the two or three things that need to happen to drive the business forward, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But at the same time, you know, they're recommendations, They're I'm sharing my experiences, I'm sharing my observations. I'm not coming in here and telling you, you need to do this or you need to do that. And I also like to ask questions like, I don't want to presume that there's a reason you haven't done X or, you know, that you're not doing X. I'd rather ask, you know, hey, I would think that, you know, doing X might help your business. Have you thought about that? Have you tried that? And hear that you did do it and it didn't work or here's why you didn't do it. I think a lot of people come in, you know, way too cocky and they just say, here's my framework. You do this, you're going to be a success. And I, I ask a lot more questions than know, when I start and I just want to learn information and try to provide information based on advice, based on my experiences. And that's, that's my approach.
0: Well, I think that that's, again, that's something that separates you, not only your character in that, but also you have the resume and experience. I think that's also, you know, a huge factor. It's like, I've been here before. I know what it takes. You can take it or not. It's you're just there to help essentially, you know what I mean? And, I I recommend anybody listening to this if 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 they are in a place where they need a business coach not maybe he doesn't like you maybe you don't like him so maybe it won't work out whatever the case might be I know you're I know it's funny because we talk about this all the time it has to be the right match it has to be yeah. you you guys have to be compatible but if you are listening to this and 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 that's something you know whether that's business coaching or or trying to get to the next level on socials because of the power of personal brand don't hesitate to reach out uh, I believe your website too is just darrellearner.com correct correct
1: darrellearner.com uh you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, I'm very visible these days. But yeah, anybody who's looking for coaching, uh, growth advising, digital strategy, or help growing their personal brand. Um, please feel free to reach out to me on any of those platforms.
0: Absolutely. You're not going to regret it. This guy has been amazing to have in, 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 my corner, not only as somebody that can help navigate the business world, but also as a friend, man, very, really grateful for your time. And in our conversation is always fun. Uh, always re, you know, they it's always, always energize, awesome. man. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. So the last question I have for you on the way out, man is, uh, I, I I've got two, one's going to be a fun one and one's a little bit more practical, but tell us about your dog. We've got to know about your dog. You've mentioned your dog, the adoption. Your Instagram is funny because it really just is all of your dog. And I love that because that just ties back to the all paws passion. Tell us about the story of of your dog.
1: (laughs) So after my dad, I had had never owned a dog before. Um, After my dad passed away, I was looking for something to cheer me up. My wife and I went to look at puppies and there were no puppies available. Went to a local shelter here. And walking out this one cute dog, this mutt kind of stared at us. My wife is like, oh, this one's kind of cute. And, you know, they come over, they're like, do you want to take her out and play with her? Sure. Do you want to take her on a walk? Sure. Do you want to go in a room with her? Sure. You know, three hours later, we find ourselves in the car with this crazy dog who's (laughs) jumping up, up and down and all across the seats and she is she's a nightmare uh, she <laughs> she I love her to death she's part of the family she has seven dog beds in our house Amazing. And, you know, eats better than we do and we <laughs> treat her like a queen but she has tremendous fear-based aggression there's literally five people in the world that she can be around without going crazy um and she's on prozac she's seen behavior that she's been through three trainers wow. and So she is a very challenging pet. And as a dog expert that I spoke to later said, it's a good thing that she was your first dog because you guys were too stupid and naive to return (laughs) her. You know, when uh, when we were at the shelter and we saw on the card, like, doesn't belong in a home with small children, you know, should be an only dog, requires a special uh, leash. You know, we didn't know enough to really understand what these things meant. And when they told us that she had been returned and we asked why and they said allergies, we just said, oh, okay. well, uh, I'm willing to bet a serious, serious amount. I bet all my uh, all pause winnings that the reason for the return wasn't allergies. (laughs) So she is, uh, like I said, she's adorable. We love her to death, but she is a very challenging member of the family.
0: And and what's what's, what's her name again? Kona. Kona. I love that. And that's K-O-N-A?
1: A-O-N-A, named after we went to Kona in Hawaii on our honeymoon. So we always just said, if we ever get a dog, Kona would be a cool name. I
0: love that so much. I love it, man. I love the story. That is hilarious, first of all. My last question for you, man. What's something that maybe it's a general piece of advice that every entrepreneur can hold on to no matter where they're at? in business, no matter how old they are, how old they are in business, and no matter what industry they're in, that you have found to be you know, foundational in your success? General question, man. Take your time to think about it if you have, if you need it.
1: Well, my, my normal answer would be adopt a framework of test, learn, iterate, but yeah. I've said that 75 times on <laughs> this call. So, But it is true. I believe yeah. that that framework is the underpinning for growth in almost any aspect of not only business, but life. Yeah. You know, beyond that, I think really, you know, a few things now that you're getting me rolling. Yeah, please. One, one is learning how to ruthlessly prioritize. Mm. You know, especially as you get more experienced in business, you realize that there are a few things that move the needle and most don't. And, you have to avoid, you have to focus on the things that do the one, two, or th- like I, I always say to people in advising, what are the one, two or three things that absolutely must happen in the next six months to drive this business forward, and then focus there. And, you know, as a younger founder, you tend to get distracted with shiny objects, mm-hmm. it can be partnerships. I mean, I have a million examples of partnerships and and, you know, working a deal with a celebrity and something like that. And it sounds all cool even just getting PR, none of it drives the business forward. Yeah. So, you know, ruthless prioritization. And it also applies in life, especially as you get older. You know, when you're younger, you're taught to run toward opportunity. And as you're older, you learn you have to learn to say no. You have to set boundaries around your time, around what you'll accept. And so saying no becomes much more important than saying yes. So I think learning, as I call it, ruthless prioritization is really important. I think another thing that's really, really important, and it seems basic, but it's even more so in this day and age, is just always conducting yourself with integrity and protecting your reputation. The world is so interconnected now, especially with social media, and you know, you're know you never more than a couple of connections away from finding out a piece of information that you want to find out or from... You know, learning a piece of information if you want to learn it about somebody. you know Reputations take years, decades, lifetimes to build. One stupid mistake can destroy it. And you know, news really does travel fast. Like there have been countless times, and I've been on either side of this equation where we've been talking about a person or something and either I found out information about them from somebody else that they were surprised to learn that I knew, or the other person knew information. You know, we would say uh, actually our, our lead investor was asked us, um, or somehow another name in the space came up, and we were mentioning them, and she's like, "Yeah, I already reached out to him. Like, so I, I know what you guys have been talking about." So it's kind of like you know, don't lie. Yeah, just you're going to get caught. Yeah, and it'll catch up with you, and it'll destroy you. So I, I think those are probably the other the other two things. And yeah.
0: I love that. So ruthlessly prioritize, protect your uh, integrity and protect your reputation and test, learn and iterate. I love it, man.
1: And I'll add one more. Yeah, please. Don't be afraid to push yourself outside your comfort zone. You know, online writing for me is a perfect example. It's so outside my comfort zone, but the last six months have been, you know life-changing and transformational and have opened up connections I, you and I are a perfect example yep. we wouldn't have connected if I didn't start on this journey yep. and i've just met so many people and you know it's helped me in other ways too but just being willing to take those risks especially making you know asymmetrical bets those can be huge in life putting yourself out there taking those shots where you know the return can be huge really worth it On the other one, it sounds like a platitude, but it's true. Whatever you're thinking about doing, just start. Just start. The only way you can, there's never a perfect time. You can always find 500 different reasons not to start something. I go back to online writing again. The timing was never right. I didn't have the time. I didn't know what I was going to talk about, blah, 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 blah. The only way to really throw yourself in is just start. Just start, start learning, start iterating. And, you know, as they say, jump out of the plane and figure out how to open the parachute along the way.
0: (laughs) I love it, man. I think that's a perfect place to end, man. Listen, this was a small masterclass in entrepreneurship. I appreciate you, man. Again, I appreciate your wisdom, but I also appreciate your friendship. And again, if anybody out there is looking for any sort of consulting, whether that's business consulting or learning how to grow and leverage your personal brand, please reach out to Daryl. Man, thank you so much. We're gonna have to do a part two because I have like eight other questions I wrote down we didn't get to, but we'll make time for it, man. Thank you so much. I would
1: absolutely do a part two. And Drake, it was an
0: honor to be on and it's always great to talk. thank you brother thank you for your time and we'll talk again soon
1: okay